Well, I have to say, I've been waiting for this day for quite some time. My first contact with uh, PCC was when I had breakfast with a couple members of the personnel committee, Adam and Joan, uh, quite some time ago. I know it was sometime after Christmas and before sheltering in place was ordered. And we had breakfast over at uh, Rick and Ann's in Berkeley. Remember those days when you could actually sit in a crowded restaurant and have breakfast and the only thing you had to worry about was whether you should order the pancakes or the waffles. Oh, those were good days. Well, we met because they uh, knew a transition was coming, that the tenure of Bill McNabb was coming to an end after many years, and they were wondering about what exactly is transitional ministry. I was serving uh, First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley at the time as their transitional minister, and so we met so they, they could pick my brain a bit and ask me about transitional ministry and the process of selecting a transitional pastor. Little did I know that I would end up being that pastor. Uh, one thing led to another, and here I am. I have to say that I am very grateful to have this opportunity. It's amazing to me that a church that fits so well um, and seems so interesting was within two miles of my house, literally five, a five-minute drive, unless there's a lot of traffic on Moraga Avenue, and then it's six minutes. Either way, it's great. I immediately felt very comfortable with the people I met from this church. I have loved my interactions with the staff and really looking forward to the time that we have ahead of us. Now, the question then is, what do we have ahead of us? What does a pan transitional pastor do exactly? Well, I think the title essentially describes the role, the goal of transitional minister. I am here to help guide you through this transition from a long-term pastorate to a, a selection of a new pastor. And as with all transitions, this will involve evaluation. This time of transition is a great time for us to take a look at our church and ask some questions. I've said sometimes uh, it's an opportunity to take a look under the hood. We'll be asking questions like, what are the strengths of our church? What are the weaknesses? What is the health of our church? Is there evidence of any disease or dysfunction? And what should we do about that if there is? What do we want to hold on to from the past? And what new thing is God calling us to do and to be? This is a wonderful opportunity for us to dream a little bit, dream about the future and what kind of church God is calling Piedmont Community Church to be. It can be a very exciting and very fruitful time for a church. I have to warn you, though, it can also be a very unsettling time. As we explore these questions and honestly take a look at them, inevitable change will occur. And change is hard, always, but especially on top of all the change that we have been through in the last couple of years. Now, this time is always an interesting and somewhat 
challenging process for a church, but we are in a period in the, in the life of the church, and not just our church, but all churches, especially in America, that is very challenging. This pandemic has caused tremendous change to not just the church, but to all of our institutions. We will talk more later about all the unique challenges that we face today. But let me say that through it all, what I think we need most is hope. And that is why when I considered about what to talk about today, here my first sermon at PCC and the first worship service of 2021, I chose the topic of hope. To do this, we will take a look at two short parables that Jesus taught and we find in the 13th chapter of Matthew, beginning at verse 31. Now you have to know that this is in a series of parables that Jesus taught. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please join me in prayer? God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word today and through the meditations of my heart. May our hearts and minds be open to what your Holy Spirit is saying to us through these two short parables. More than that, may you fill us with hope through these words this morning. Amen. Well, we all need hope, don't we? I doubt any one of us here or listening today goes through a day of our lives without needing hope for one thing or another. Because hope is essential to life. It is one of those things that you just have to have. It's one of the basics, like oxygen, or like water. Without hope, life becomes meaningless. It becomes very difficult to carry on. You see, you can have just about everything else in life and still survive, or lose just about everything else in life and still survive. But when you've lost hope, you're really dead. Now, you may go on existing for a while, but your soul is dead. So hope is very important, and yet it is sometimes easy in life to lose hope, isn't it? It is especially easy to lose hope when life is hard, and life is hard sometimes. In fact, I would say most of the time, isn't it? It can be discouraging, even overwhelming at times. And in our world today, with so many things seemingly going wrong, with all these major crises that we are facing, with so many problems, it seems like, and injustices, 
sometimes seems like evil is winning the day. It is during times of extreme stress, which we are going through right now, that it is really easy to lose hope. And yet, as Christians, we are called to be people of hope. That is why in every sermon I preach, I always try to have a word of hope. You will see that as I preach, I will always include the good news, the gospel. It's the last question I ask as I finish a sermon. Where is the good news in this sermon? Where is the hope? Now, hope is the message of each of the two parables that I just read from the 13th chapter of Matthew. These parables tell us this. Have hope. Keep hoping. Why? Because God is working. God is in control. And God will carry his purpose out. You can count on it. It may not seem like it at times. It may not look like it. You may not feel it. You may feel discouraged. And it may seem like evil is winning the day. But that doesn't change the facts. God never abandons us. He never leaves us. God is always working. And God will finish the work God has begun. And in the end, everything will be all right. This is the message that Jesus is telling the disciples and us through these parables. Now, let me set the scene for you a little bit. When Jesus told these parables, his followers, they were struggling with hope. They were discouraged. Remember, the disciples had given up everything to follow Jesus. Don't forget, these were people with real lives, with families, with jobs, and all the rest, and they gave it all up to follow Jesus. And now at this particular point, when Jesus taught this parable, they were wondering if it was worth following Jesus, if they had made the right decision, if he really was the promised Messiah. And it's easy to see why. For centuries, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah, the chosen one of God, who would march in with power, throw off the yoke of the oppressors, establish a political kingdom in which justice would reign. Their expectations were high and their hopes were bold. And then Jesus came. And his kingdom, it was different. It was not what they expected. Instead of overthrowing governments and defeating the enemies, he's healing lepers and paralytics. He's hanging out with sinners and with people that others considered throwaway outcasts. He spent his time teaching about peace and loving your enemies and turning the other cheek. And instead of gathering an army and enlisting the powerful and the wealthy, the influential, he surrounded himself with 12 pretty ordinary guys. So Jesus' followers, they're disappointed. And they're wondering about Jesus. Even his cousin, John the Baptist, had questions about who Jesus was. Jesus is not meeting their expectations. He's not carrying out their agenda. And they wondered 
can this guy really pull it off? Can he establish the kingdom of God that we are all waiting for? Now Jesus senses their discouragement, and he tells them in these parables, have hope, keep hoping. And he tells us the same today. Keep hoping, even if circumstances tell you otherwise. Keep hoping. Even in the midst of a terrible pandemic, whose worst days, we are told, are still ahead of us. Even at the end of a tumultuous and unpredictable year. Keep hoping. Keep hoping. You may question God's methods. You may wonder if God is still there. It may seem like things are moving awfully slow. But Jesus says, keep hoping. Now, in the first parable, the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus says, keep hoping because the kingdom of God may start out small. It may be unspectacular in the beginning. But once the seed is in the ground, it's just a matter of time. It will grow and grow and grow and grow, and you can't stop it. And what was once very small will become enormous. And Jesus uses contrast here to drive home his point. You see, the mustard seed, I've read a couple different uh, estimates about this, but one I read and seemed to be pretty common was that it is only 39 one hundredths of an inch, and yet after it is planted, it can grow to the heights of, of 12 feet or more, and it becomes so big that birds can make their nest in it. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like that. It's true, isn't it? The kingdom of God is just like that. It starts small. But over time, it grows to great size. You know, we just celebrated Christmas, and Christmas was one of those few times in the, the entire year when most of the world kind of grinds to a halt. Christmas is amazing. It is celebrated in great cathedrals and in grass huts. It is celebrated by the wealthy and by the poorest of poor. Sermons on Christmas Day will be given in hundreds of different languages. Christmas is a big deal. But it didn't start that way, did it? Consider the incarnation. Jesus came quietly into the world as an infant born to teenage parents. And life in Bethlehem that day, it, it just pretty much went on as usual. The great majority, great, great majority of people in that town didn't even know that Jesus was born. There weren't big lights, there weren't blaring horns or big pronouncements. No, it was pretty quiet. I guess you could say it was pretty small. And Jesus, in his years of ministry, he didn't spend time with thousands and thousands of followers. He spent most of his time with 12 guys. At most, while he walked on earth, his group of true followers never numbered more than probably 100. And yet, from that small start, from that tiny group of ordinary folks, from that little seed, a revolution of worldwide proportions, to cold. And there's no doubt that 
Christianity has changed the world, and the revolution continues today. You know, we look at the church in America, and it can be discouraging, but wow, Christianity is experiencing explosive growth in Africa and Asia and South America. I have read that 30,000 Africans convert to Christianity every day, and it all began with this very small seed. This is how God has chosen to work. And most of the time, God works. God furthers his kingdom through little steps of faith by ordinary people. Like the day in 1955 when a tired department store clerk in Montgomery, Alabama, decided she didn't want to get up and move to the back of the bus. A little step of faith. A not-so-dramatic action by Rosa Parks is cited by some as the one action that really gave impetus to the civil rights movement that eventually elevated the lives of millions of people and continues today. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. By the way, this is how God works in our own personal lives, isn't it? Usually not in big, spectacular ways but rather in small, sometimes what seems to be slow ways, one step at a time. We want to change all at once. We want to get rid of a bad habit right away. We want our prayers answered like this, but God takes his time. But be sure, God is working. In the second parable, Jesus gives us another important insight into how God works. He says that God works in mysterious ways, unlikely, often hidden ways. Jesus says we can also have hope because although we may not always be able to discern God working, God is working. God says the kingdom of God is like the yeast that a woman took and hid in a huge amount of flour until it formed the whole batch of flour into bread. Again, the surprise of the parable is the power of such a small bit of yeast to transform a huge amount of dough. A little bit of yeast goes a long way. See, Jesus is also saying in this parable, you may not be able to see the yeast working, but that doesn't mean it's not working. God is doing God's work. It may be somewhat hidden. It may be a little mysterious to us. But Jesus says, keep hoping. Keep hoping. Because once the yeast is in the dough, it's going to become huge. It's going to continue to grow. You can count on it. God works in mysterious surprising ways. Did you know that COVID-19 is not the first epidemic that the church has experienced? The early church experienced a number of epidemics. They were horrible, far worse than COVID-19. But God used those pandemics, those epidemics, to further the growth of his kingdom. You see, the early church at the risk of their own lives, cared for those infected by the virus. As others fled, those Christians, those early followers of Christ, 
cared for those who are sick, both inside and outside the church. And this amazing charity, this unconditional love, was a powerful witness to the watching world. So much so that historians say that without these epidemics, the church may not have experienced the explosive growth that it did in the first century. Now, can I give you some encouragement today? You may look at a situation in your life and it may seem hopeless and circumstances may tell you that God is nowhere to be found. You can't see the yeast working, transforming the situation, but that doesn't mean that God isn't working. You know, in my years of ministry, I've had the privilege of working with people who have gone through just horrible things. Divorce, the death of a loved one, accidents, financial ruin, you you name it. I served one church for 17 years, so that's a long time. You can see when something happens and then over the years what ends up resulting. And I have to tell you that as things happened initially, we didn't see God, but as the years unfolded, you can look back and you see how God works, how God was working, and how God surprises us with things that we could have never imagined. So keep praying for your kid or your spouse or a friend and keep on hoping. You know, these parables tell us to keep hoping because God is always working and God hasn't given up on our situations. We may not see it. It may not seem like things are going the way we want, but God is near. God has not abandoned us And God is carrying his purposes out. You know, I've been reading a lot. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about the state of the church in America and the effect that COVID-19 is having on the church. No doubt, this is a hard time. I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I cannot think of a time when it was more challenging to be a pastor than right now. Pastors and staff are tired, they're exhausted, they've had to pivot and really change just about everything concerning the model of ministry that they've been using for years. Worship attendance across the United States is down, a trend we have been seeing for years now but has been accelerated during the pandemic. And we still have months, hard months, ahead. In some ways, I look at the church and I think, It's similar to restaurants. They are very much threatened by the pandemic because the church, by nature, is this gathering community. That's what we do. And we haven't been able to do that for nearly a year, and there are still months ahead. i got to be honest with you. This next year could be rough. But I also have to tell you, I am full of hope because these parables tell us that God is still working, that God has not abandoned us, and I believe that God wants to see his church thrive. God is working in ways that we may not see, and we we have to be watchful. We have to be open to the new thing that God maybe wants to do through this pandemic. We may have to adjust our way of thinking about how we do church and what it means to be a healthy and effective church.
You know, I've given a lot of thought to the nature of our Christian hope over the years. I've preached many sermons on it. And this is what I've come, come to. This is where I am right now. <laughs> there are kind of two hopes that we have as Christians. Our immediate hope. Our hope for the days and the years right ahead of us. And I think our hope for those days is not that we get everything that we want, everything that we pray for. But here is our hope. God is with us. Emmanuel. And God will not leave us. Never abandon us. And God is working. That is our immediate hope. But there is another hope that we have to which these parables point, a hope that we also celebrate at Advent. You know, at Advent, we look back to the hope that we have in Christ who came to earth. But we also look forward to our, what we call our eschatological hope, the hope of the end times. That is our hope that one day, we don't know when, but one day, God will finish the work that God has begun. And the dough will be this gigantic loaf of bread and the tiny seed, a towering tree, and God will get his way and things will be set right and the world will be as it was meant to be from the beginning. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And there will be a day, someday, when all sin is gone and wars will cease. And the silly walls that separate us now will come tumbling down and evil will be overcome and justice will prevail and every wrong will be made right and every tear will be wiped away and pain and suffering will be no more. Oh, I feel in my heart when I talk about this hope. Do you feel a stirring when you think of this day? You see, I think God has put a yearning in every human heart for that day. The best is yet to come. God will finish the work he has begun. And his kingdom will come in all its fullness. It may take longer than you want it to take, But be patient because the seed is in the ground and the yeast is in the dough. And God will finish. God will finish the work he has begun. So have hope. Have hope. Amen. Will you please join me in prayer? God, we thank you for this great hope that we have in you in your nature, in your goodness, in your faithfulness. And Lord, as we look ahead to the future and as we go through this time of transition and all that that involves, I pray that we would be people of hope and be confident that you are good and that you have good things for your church and for us as individuals. And Lord, I pray for anyone listening today that struggling with hope right now and perhaps is at the end of their rope. I pray that you would give them hope. 
And we pray these things in the strong name of the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.